have some announcements. Announcements, announcements. Thank you, Peter. All right. <laughs> uh, today is post-Christmas cleanup. If you, uh, I think I called it something else in the email, but if you got the email, then you had a little bit of warning. Uh, we are packing up the decorations and safely stowing them for next year's use. Um, so right after service, if you are able, uh, we'll um, pull the, the ladders and the containers, pack everything up, put it back up in the garage up at the top, dodging raindrops all the way. Because it's wet outside right now. <laughs> so if you're able to help with that, thank you very much. If, if you're not, totally understand. Uh, we're just, that's what we're doing today. Um, focus, 21 day prayer and fast. We start this, this, I was also talking about this in the email, the last couple emails, um, starting Thursday, the 7th through the 27th, we're going to have a corporate time of prayer and fasting. We're joining Northwest Federal Way. And, um, so we have a launch service on Wednesday, the 6th at seven o'clock in Federal Way. Uh, where we'll just prepare our hearts together and and set that time aside for the Lord to move and do things and really put ourselves in a position to receive from him. So again, that is focus, the 21-day prayer and fast starting Thursday, the 7th. Um, I have also in the email, I have linked some articles on fasting, how to how to fast, how to pray, and even a daily prayer guide for that. So that is available. After service, we always have prayer at the front and our, our prayer ministry team is available for things. And so if you uh, are walking through something after service, that's always available. We, we care for one another in that way. We bring our burdens to the Lord and we see what he will do in that. And then finally, we have, I, I picked up the connect cards and I, put them in a new spot back there by the communion. Um, uh, that's a good place for prayer requests. It's also, uh, if, if you're not getting the email, if you want information, you want more information about anything, fill one of those out and we will get in touch with you and not spam you. We will not spam you. Online, uh, we're working on a new website right now um, with an app and everything, and that will have a digital connect card. So online, you don't have to be here to fill out a connect card. How cool is that? All right. Today, we are talking about our favorite Christian word, breakthrough. Actually, the title of today's message is Believing for More. Believing for More in 2021. And the subtitle is Real Breakthrough. Real Breakthrough. Um. Because you could have fake breakthrough, I suppose. No, uh, we, want, we want real breakthrough, as in the next level of breakthrough. We, we've def- oh, I'll get there. I'll get there. All right. Why do you need breakthrough? Why? Because we all deal with pain or discouragement or depression or disappointment. These are a regular part of our normal human existence. It happens when people live with each other. It happens when you live life and uh, have expectations. It happens um, because everybody is subject to our own human fallen nature. 
nothing is perfect. So there will be pain, there will be discouragement, depression, disappointment, injury, offense. It's kind of funny in the church to talk about these kind of things because we all feel a little bit awkward about saying that things aren't perfect, right? Um, You've all seen it or experienced it walking in the, the door of the church and and somebody at the front says, hey, how you doing? And your response is, great. great. We're doing fantastic. Liar, liar, pants on fire. You know, you know that you just had a fight with your spouse on the way to church, that your employment situation is iffy, and your extended family almost killed you over the holidays. <laughs> at least one of those is true for each and every one of you, I know. And, uh, but you just, you said that because that's the way that you say none of your business, (laughs) right? (laughs) It's a good way to keep people at, at arm's length so they're not up on your grill, right? Perhaps the initial greeting was equally disingenuous. (laughs) Maybe I didn't really know, want to know how you're doing. I just, you know, it's a greeting, right? So just picturing an honest conversation coming in that back door sends shivers of awkward down our spines. What would happen if it actually got real right there at the door? Um, So perhaps, sometimes it does happen, and Patty would know. Uh, So maybe that's not the best place to process our pain and discouragement as we're, we're coming into church, but it is the reality of our existence. It is, it is our reality. And so even if we're not gonna acknowledge it right there, uh, you do have to acknowledge it. You do have to, to deal with that. Pretending it, it doesn't affect us isn't honest, but on the flip side, wallowing in self-pity and staying in that pain and discouragement is not productive either. So what do we do? We ask God for breakthrough. We ask God to work and to, to move in our lives when we're not able to do that. We're, we've defined breakthrough as, as God doing something for us supernaturally that we were unable to do in the natural, that we're unable to do for ourselves. I need breakthrough. That means I can't fix it. I need God to, to push through and do something in a situation. But there's another layer to breakthrough. And that layer is, is easy to ignore. And maybe in religious speak, it's easy to just Look, overlook altogether, and that is your cooperation in the breakthrough, my cooperation, my, my heart inclination and attitude toward breakthrough. God can do miracles and does do some amazing things instantly, but many times an instantaneous miracle would not accomplish God's ultimate purpose. Well, what do you mean? Well, if I'm struggling in a job, I'm not doing very well, the boss doesn't like me, and it's miserable to be there, I can pray and ask God for breakthrough. He could get me a new and more understanding boss who thinks I'm awesome and would smooth things out for me, or he could do something that, that, um, that might be more productive. He could, uh, it could be that I need to change. 
So the breakthrough that really, really is needed would be my change. I need to be a better employee. I need to get my stuff together. I need to show up on time. Come on, somebody. I know. And that, and that kind of breakthrough, the real productive kind, requires my willing participation in the process. That's not just going to be God waving a wand over me and everything's fixed. That's a breakthrough for sure. But would it accomplish what it is that he's trying to do? Now, let's remind ourselves, what is it that God is trying to do in our lives? He's trying to make us look like Jesus, right? We're, we're to grow up to look like Jesus, to, to walk and to talk and to think like Jesus. And so his goals are for us, his breakthroughs for us, his miracles for us go in that direction. Not just to smooth things out and make life easier. Now, I, I do know that there are some really terrible work situations. And I, I'm remembering... Dad, I'm remembering the, the story of, of the boss that really just hated Christians and made life miserable for you. I remember that. And we prayed her out, you know. She, God, God removed her, <laughs> moved her on. It really happened. And that was not because, anyway, so, so that happens also. That happens also. How about this one? If I put on some extra weight over the COVID season, what do they call that, the COVID-15 20, yeah. The COVID-19. That's what that meant. Uh, I could ask God for a breakthrough and a miracle to miraculously take that weight off. And he could. He totally could. Uh, is it likely? No, no, no. Why? Because then you would not have... The, the patterns and the skill set and the, the wherewithal to, to make that worthwhile, right? Because it's going to come back. Because what happened during COVID was your eating patterns changed, <laughs> right? And so if God could just remove the, the weight, but then you're still in that pattern. Well, what does he really want to do? He wants to change your pattern. That would be the breakthrough. That would be where you want to go. The breakthrough that we seek as we head into this new year is not one where God simply flips all the tables on our enemies and everything gets easy. That's, and, and that's how, and, the, and it's very easy to pray that way. Lord, take this difficulty away. How about, Lord, take COVID away? How about, how about, yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> how about, uh, I, uh, say I don't agree with the government. Lord, Deal with the government. Make, make my problems go away. But what if the breakthrough that God wants to work in us is not out there, but in here? Say that. Yeah. 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 He's worth, and, and anything worthwhile and the revival that we seek and the breakthrough that we seek, it's, it starts in us, not out there. Today, we're going to look at Psalm 77. And you can pull that up in your, in your, uh, your Bible now as we get going. And Psalm 77 is a model of honesty in processing 
life's darker moments. Because if we're going to have breakthrough, if we're going to see the Lord move in us, then we need to come to a place where our hearts can receive that kind of thing. Many times, just because of the pain in life, because of the difficulties in life, we end up in a place where we don't believe that he'll, he can actually do something. Our faith is hampered, and, um, or, or we're just stuck in cycles of, of pain. And so this is a model of dealing with that to prepare our hearts, to get us in a place where God can move in us and we can receive from him. Psalm 77 is written by Asaph. Asaph could be a few different people. And I think it's worth talking about who, who these guys could be. There's not a lot of details, but there's a couple different Asaphs in the Bible. The first one is uh, worked under David and then Solomon as one of the three directors of worship in the tabernacle and then in the temple. Asaph was there when Solomon dedicated the temple and saw the glory of the Lord fill the place when the priests fell down. Asaph lived through a lot of things in that time. Um, now why would he be writing a dark psalm like this? Um, over his years in that role, he doubtless saw uh, many hard and difficult things. Just the historical happenings that we know happened in that time frame um, would pro uh, provide plenty of opportunities for a downer like this one to be written. For example, David taking a census against the Lord's counsel resulting in the death of 70,000 plus men. That one kind of rocked the country. How about um, the death of Bathsheba and David's first child? Or trouble with the remaining household of Saul? Or the treachery of David's son, Absalom? That one really messed the country up for a little while. How about Sheba's revolt you might not know about that one, but it's there. It was a full-on revolt and David had to put it down. There was a three-year famine in there. And any number of political infighting or, or stuff going on in the court and in the temple, like there was plenty of stuff going down that could have been a reason for, for Asaph to write a dark psalm, one complaining like this one. Um, now there's another Asaph, um, it, it could, this also could have been written by maybe one of Asaph's sons and just attributed to him. Um, but the other possibility is there's an Asaph in captivity in Babylon who had a similar role. He was also a Levite. And so this one could have been in response to the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. And that would provide a pretty good background for writing a dark psalm like this, a woe is me psalm, when you had just lost your entire worship apparatus, your whole system of serving God is gone like that. And now what are you supposed to do? You got to process that. In any case, Psalm 77 gives us a model of how to process this. So let's read Psalm 77. For the director, according to Jedithan, a psalm of Asaph. My voice rises to God, and I will cry aloud. My voice rises to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord, and in the night, my hand was stretched out 
without weariness. My soul refused to be comforted. When I remember God, then I am disturbed. When I sigh, then my spirit grows faint. You have held my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I have considered the days of old, the years of long ago. I will remember my song in the night. I will meditate with my heart and my spirit ponders. Will the Lord reject forever? And will he never be favorable again? Has his loving kindness ceased forever? Has his promise come to an end forever? Has God forgotten to be gracious Or has he in anger withdrawn his compassion? Then I said, it is my grief that the right hand of the Most High has changed. I shall remember your deeds, the deeds of the Lord. Surely I will remember your wonders of old. I will meditate on your work and muse on your deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. And what God is great like our God For you are the God who works wonders, and you have made known your strength among the peoples. You have by your power redeemed your people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph. And I'm going to stop there. He goes on to recount um, parts of the Exodus, where Israel comes out of Egypt. I want to present to you the three-part process in these verses. There's three steps for preparing our our heart for a breakthrough. And the first step is process the pain. You gotta process it. Look, we've already established just by virtue of being alive and in this life, you've got pain. You've got discouragement. You've got depression. You've got things in your life that aren't right. And that's just the way it is. So what do you do with it? You You gotta be honest with it. If you bottle it up, what happens? you're probably going to explode. Yeah, yeah. It's like, it's like shaking carbonated beverage. <laughs> Don't do it. And then put it in the freezer. You've never done that, Kurt, have you? <laughs> That's all it takes. First step is to process your pain. I'm going to read. So as we see here for Asaph, the first six verses, he is processing his pain. So I'm going to read those again. My voice rises to God and I will cry aloud. My voice rises to God and he will hear me. You got to, you got to let it out. You got to talk to God. In the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. And in the night, my right hand was stretched out without weariness. That means I, I was not going to give up. Without weariness, I, I am seeking, I, I am complaining, I am barren my soul to the Lord. My soul refused to be comforted. He didn't give up. He didn't seek God half-heartedly and they say, ah, oh, well, it's not gonna work. There was some persistence there. But also in the pain, it, it kept him motivated to, to find the solution. In that moment with the pain going on, he, he was motivated to really pursue God. And then also, He says, my soul refused to be comforted. He would not medicate. He would not seek comfort in an easy way. He wasn't going to the wine. He wasn't going to the women. He wasn't wasn't getting ambitious just to, to comfort his soul. He was staying in that spot, staying with the Lord and 
well, at this point, still complaining, (laughs) but that's what he was doing. Verse three, I remember God when I am disturbed. I sigh and my spirit grows faint. Verse four, you have held my eyelids open and I'm so troubled that I cannot speak. He can't even articulate what's going on. He, his, it just, the pain is deep, but he doesn't know all the whys. He can't even pray. He doesn't know how to pray. Have you ever felt that way? You ever had just something so wrong and, and words just don't work? You don't know how to articulate it? The misery of a situation that is so broken, you don't know how to fix it? That's where Asaph is here doesn't even know how to pray. Verse five, I have considered the days of old, the years of long ago. He remembers God, but remembering what he has done only brings more pain because it's not the way things are now. There's been good times, but this sucks. So remembering the good times only makes it worse right now. It just serves as a reminder of how bad things are right now. You know that feeling? The good old days? 2019? Anyways. Verse six, I will remember my song in the night. I will meditate with my heart. That means converse with yourself, talk to yourself. And my spirit ponders. He still knows that this is where he needs to be. And this is the process that he needs to be in. That doesn't make him any less miserable. He is committed to this process and his pain and disappointment uh, with the Lord, he's gonna air that out to the Lord. He knows that. Think about um, what he's feeling. He's thinking about what he's feeling and why. He's, He's digging into it, not to just be, morose and, and uh, self-absorbed, but, but he's, just, he's just, okay, why do I feel that way? What's going on? And just really digging into that and, and getting it out before the Lord. And that's an important, important part of the process. You gotta, to, you gotta understand what's going on. And the Lord can really bring that to your mind and, and bring revelation. I remember, um, I, I tend not to be a very emotional person especially externally. Um, and my wife can definitely attest to this, but um, there, there was a moment, <laughs> she remembers this one too. There was a moment uh, several months ago and I had led worship for the last time at Northwest Federal Way. That's where I was for, for a number of years. It was the end of an era, so to speak. And, and, and in that transition, a lot, a lot of emotions and stuff and, and, Somebody say, how are you doing? How are you feeling? I'm like, I have no idea. I really don't even know how I feel. Uh, there was one night after leading that, that last time, I was kind of laying in bed, looking up at the ceiling. And, and I said to, to my wife, I think I'm sad. <laughs> what is this feeling of sadness? <laughs> that, for me, to be able to articulate that was, was really really a revelation. I was just like, oh my gosh, that's, that's what that is. But it came from me just kind of digging into it and going, what, what is this that I'm feeling? It's an important part of the process. If we, just, if we just numb it down, if we medicate, if we just try and comfort ourselves when something just doesn't feel right and we just leave it at that and just try and 
mask things and, and treat things, that's where we get addictions. That's where we get ourselves into all kinds of deep, dark places. And then you have to deal with that before you can even get back to the root things. It can be a revelation when we find out what we really feel. Because the heart is a deep and deceptive place. Scripture says this, the heart is deceptive. And it's full of self-preservation mechanisms that most of us don't really have a good grasp on. (laughs) Your heart is playing tricks on you all the time. So it's important as we deal with this and as we're we're confessing things to God to, to really, I would just say this, it's important to say it out loud. It's important to say things out loud to the Lord. Sometimes, sometimes writing it can be a, a very helpful thing. I know I've written emails before, and as I wrote, the thought crystallized, and I went, oh, that's what I was thinking. That's what I was feeling. Don't hit send until you read it again. That is a good piece of advice right there. Half the time, you should probably just delete it anyways. But it was good for your processing. That's what... (laughs) But here's the thing. Nobody's exempt from pain. So everybody has to, to process this. If we don't acknowledge, if we don't work through our pain, real breakthrough can't happen. Listen, this is part of getting your heart in a place to receive real breakthrough from the Lord, this place of honesty. He can't, he's not just gonna override everything in you and just do something out there because that's because then he doesn't accomplish his goals. He doesn't, he doesn't accomplish what he wants to do with you. He wants to work in your heart. He wants to move things in your heart. If we don't process, then the root of the problem will still be embedded in our heart and mind. And we will repeat the same mistakes that got us there because we didn't learn how to think differently. We never never dealt with things. We never saw the root cause. Even if we feel like our pain has to do with God, it's, it's important to keep venting to him. Has anybody ever felt upset with God before? Once or twice. What are you doing? (laughs) Yeah, but he can handle it. He's a big boy. He's not scared of, of, of where you're at. He can, he's, yeah, he's not surprised. He's not shocked that you would ever think that. He's, he knows your heart better than you know your heart. In fact, scripture says he is near to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. So we need to process our pain. That's our first step. The second step to take towards real breakthrough is to deal with the doubt. Deal with your doubt. What happens when when our pain is there? It causes us to doubt Here we see that Asaph spills out the doubtful questions that are plaguing his heart. Verse seven. Will the Lord reject forever? That's a dark thought. 
Will he never again be favorable? He says, I, I feel like the Lord is rejecting me permanently. I feel like, like he has removed his favor from my life, just removed it. It was there, but now it's not. How else could these things happen? Why else would these difficulties take place? Why would life take such hard and nasty turns? Is it because he has removed his favor? Has his loving kindness, verse 8, ceased forever? Has his promise come to an end forever? His loving kindness that I thought would be there always and never end, would never leave me, it seems to have vanished and vaporized. He promised to be with me and never leave me and, and treat me with tenderness, but it feels like that isn't true after all. Has anybody felt anything like that before? Has God forgotten to be gracious or is he in anger withdrawing his compassion? These are possible reasons that we will think of for why things have gone bad. God's forgotten about me. Or I've messed up too many times. I've crossed that line and now he's removed his hand of covering off me. Then I said, it is my grief that the right hand of the Most High has changed. I believe the King James says, it is my infirmity. The years of the right hand of the, of the Most High. Another way to say this would be, the grief is mine to bear. I will remember the past experience and history with the Lord, even if now it has changed and it's painful to remember that. That's my grief. That's, what I'm, that's my grief right now. We've got to be honest with the Lord, with our pain, but also with our doubt. It's one thing to tell the Lord, I feel this way and, and it hurts. But it's another thing to, to present your doubt to the Lord where you're saying, are you really there? Do you really care? I thought you meant this, but it doesn't feel that way. Is, are you for real? The doubt has to be expressed. You've got to deal with that. Again, we're at a place where God can handle this. He's not threatened by your doubt. He's not insecure. He can handle it. He's not frightened by my own feeble grasp on reality. But he does want to work in those parts of my life. And if I will open that to him, he can speak to it. If I don't open it to him, then he can't speak to it. Doubt often comes in the form of those questions. Is this how it's going to be? Is God really going to do me like this? Will it always be this miserable? These are questions of God's character and his intentions for me. Listen to this. Doubt is an experience. We all experience doubt. But unbelief is when you make doubt a practice, right? Unbelief is where you don't want to be. Doubt is normal. You just got to deal with it as it comes up. But unbelief is when you continue in that doubt so much so that, that you, that's your belief. That's, that's where you're at. That's your, your heart condition. That's unbelief. But doubt is normal. Real breakthrough can come after doubt is dealt with. 
because God can work in that part of your heart that you have just opened up. That can be the breakthrough. When you open up a doubt to him and he speaks so clearly and touches you so strongly that that, that now becomes a strong point in your life rather than, than the weak point where doubt was. Just because God hasn't done it yet doesn't mean he won't do it. So deal with the doubt, confess it, and ask God the hard questions. Go ahead and do it. We gotta deal with our doubt and be honest with ourselves and honest with the Lord. The third step toward real breakthrough is to remember the Lord. Remember your Redeemer. Verse 11, I shall remember the deeds of the Lord. This is where he turns a corner. He's been processing his pain, his doubt, and now he moves into this third phase here. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Surely I will remember your wonders of old. I will meditate on your work and muse on your deeds. There's three words for remember here. This is fun with Hebrew poetry, how they will say the same thing a couple different ways. The first word essentially means make a list. Make a list. Zakar is the word. And it says to record in order to remember. Record it. Write it down. What, what are the things that he has done? It means to be mindful, to bring to remembrance. You make a list so that you don't forget things, right? Because when I don't make a list, I forget things. <laughs> Heck, most of the time when I make a list, I forget things. But The second word for remember um, means meditate. And meditate is a, is a little bit of a nebulous word, but it means to speak, imagine, mutter, to study, to, to say it out loud. That's what meditate is like. And then there's a third word, and it's translated as muse. And this is the second time that it's used in this passage, although it was translated as something else earlier, but to talk, meditate, complain, to pray, to commune with your own heart, talking to yourself about what the Lord has done. Have a conversation with your own heart. But it's important in this place to, when we meditate, when we muse, that it is on him, not on our pain or our doubt. Have you ever got stuck in that spot where you're just circling on your pain? Have you, if you haven't, you've known somebody that has, you're like, I know already, don't say it again. We, can, we will circle on that pain and we just spiral down. Everything gets bad. So when we meditate, it has to be on him. We remember the things that he has done. We, we talk about it to ourselves. This is who he is. This is what he has done. Don't rehearse your pain. Meditate on him. The principle is to remember him. Verse 13, your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? Holy means completely separate and different different from human, different from mankind, different from creation. Isaiah 55 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways. For the, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than yours, and my thoughts than yours. 
1 Samuel 15 says, also the glory of Israel will not lie or change his mind for he is not a man that he should change his mind. That's a, a glimpse of what holy means in this, in this circumstance. Just completely different. He's not, he's not gonna hurt. He, he doesn't have the same capacity for, for evil and sin that everybody around you does or that you do. Great, who is great like our God? Great means nobody compares to him and he cannot be compared to anyone else. All other causes, all other personalities, all other purposes fall apart in his presence. Everything else becomes unimportant. That's what great means. He is above everything else, elevated. And seeing him and remembering him as for who he is, that fix our perspective, fixes our perspective, right? Because we've been, we've been down in our pain, we've been dealing with our doubt, but now we turn our hearts to him, we fix our eyes on him and remember, we choose to remember who he is and what he does. I will remember that he is holy, that he is greater than all else. I will remember what he's done. He has done great deeds. He has worked wonders. Later on in this chapter, down at the bottom of the psalm, he, he recounts the exodus and the parting of the waters. And, and he's recounting things that the Lord has done that, that have spoken to his soul. There are things in scripture that, that you have stuck in your soul for a reason because those, those are markers of what God has done that define who he is. Remember those things in your pain and in your doubt. Remember those things. Remember what that says about who he is. Remember the things that he has done in your own personal life. Hopefully you made a list. Because that fixes your perspective. I will remember who he is. I will remember what he's done. He has revealed himself to me. And he has redeemed, says here, he has redeemed his people. He has redeemed. This is not, redeemed doesn't just mean um, he, he saved us in the simplest form. He didn't just pay the penalty of our sin, though he definitely did that. What he did was he restored things back to the way they should be. He fixed things in a way that we could never do. He brought things back the way he intended them. That's what redeemed means. And he has redeemed us. He's restored all things. He's brought us back to wholeness. This is what we remember in this process. This is how we, how we do this. So our process is process the pain. Got to get it out. You can't, you can't just hold it in. What happens when you hold it in? You explode. It comes out on somebody else, and then you cause them pain. Then they got to go deal with it, right? We process our pain. We deal with the doubt. We ask God the hard questions. We're not going to hold that in. We're going we're gonna to go ahead and, and let him hear it, hear our complaints, hear our doubt, we open ourselves up that way so that he can get in. And then as we, as we open up, then we choose to, and this will be a conscious decision, we choose to remember 
who he is. You've got to make that shift from, from the complaining to the remembering. Or you'll just spiral down. So we make that shift. We remember who he is. We remember what he's done. And then we're at a place in our heart as the Lord begins to work in the places we've opened up. He restores faith to our heart. He restores the memory of who he is. He's fixed our perspective now. And now there's faith where there was doubt. Now we can believe him for more. I will believe God for more. And here is the point of breakthrough that we're looking for. This is the kind of breakthrough that means something. Miracles are awesome. But if it doesn't change your heart, then that's not what God's trying to do. We want breakthrough in our heart to look more like Jesus, to to act more like Jesus, to, to bring more souls to Jesus. That's the breakthrough we're looking for. So let's follow the logic here of Asaph in Psalm 77. I have pain and it's terrible. It sucks. And that makes me doubt. And I have really hard questions for God. But after I get those out, I remember who God is and what he's done. And it brings me back to a place of faith based on who he is, who he has been and who he has revealed himself to be based on my own experiences with him and those of God's people through the ages. I will believe God for more right now because he hasn't changed. I will believe God for more right now. He is still shaping and molding us into the image of Jesus, carving out more sin, renewing our minds, and growing deeper in love with him. That's where he's drawing us. That's what he's doing. You guys remember King David. He wrote a lot of the Psalms. There was a a time in his life when Well, there were several times in his life (laughs) where things were ugly, things were bad. This one was before he was really uh, set up as king of Israel. And he was out with his his band of men and they had gathered quite a following. They had had families and and all their wives and children and stuff traveled with them. They were camped out in in a town called Ziglag. And they went out and were fighting the Philistines and they came back. And the Amalekites, another nasty tribe nearby, had come in while they were gone, while all the men were out fighting, and they had ransacked the city, burned it, and took everybody alive, thankfully, with them uh, as captives. David and his men come back. They're all tired and and weary and, and see smoke rising from their town and immediately fear the worst. They go and examine everything, and all their families are gone. All their stuff is gone. Life is, as we knew it, is over. This is a really bad spot. And then, not only are they really upset about that, but it's David's fault now. So they all go, and, and they're, they're looking to stone David. And they didn't have marijuana back then. <laughs> At least, 
They might have had something else. They had, they had plenty of wine and all that. No, they were looking to kill him. They're, it was, it was, it was going to be lights out. And scripture says that David says, but David strengthened himself in the Lord. Now, what, what do you think that looked like? That's all it says about that right there. What do you think that looked like for David? Well, we know because he wrote so many songs and, and emoted so much in, in the Psalms that he let it all out to God. He didn't hold back. You, can you imagine some of the questions he asked God at that point? I thought you said you were with me. <laughs> what is going on here? I imagine it might have sounded a lot like Psalm 77. Have you removed your favor forever? Is your promise no good anymore? What's the deal? He told God how bad life sucked right now. But eventually he was strengthened, which means he turned that corner from the pain and the doubt and the processing to remembering who God is and remembering what he had done. David did that. And because he was reminded of who God was and his promises and his faithfulness in the past, then he went out and acted and God acted on his behalf. They overtook the Amalekites. They recovered all their, all their families and, and nobody was lost. They, they came back with more possessions than, than were stolen from them originally. God did that on his behalf. That was the breakthrough. But he had to get to that place where, he, where God had strengthened him again, where he was strengthened in the Lord. I personally believe that there was probably some, some worship music involved in that because that's who David was. He took his guitar out there and just, just him and God, you know what I'm saying? But he was able to believe God for more because he processed his pain. What would happen if he just didn't process his pain? What, what would happen if he just got angry and just took things into his own hands and made his own decisions? What could have happened at that point? Do you think he would have gotten his family back? I think he would have been on the run from his men. <laughs> so this is our process. And this is our, our way of seeking real meaningful breakthrough in 2021. Not just that God would do something on a global or a national or a statewide scale, but that he would work in our hearts and we would give him that space to work. That's the breakthrough that we wanna see. We wanna grow in Jesus. We want to understand more of who he is. So we will process our pain. We'll deal with our doubt. And we'll remember our redeemer, the one who has redeemed us. This is our process. 